Amen. Well, grab your Bibles if you would. In fact, I've got a bunch of verses, um, so follow along the best you can today. These little verses here and there. John chapter 4, I want to start there. And these are, in fact, these next few weeks are probably one of the most important, uh, I don't want to say messages, but topics when we look at the Bible after Jesus had resurrected. And last week we talked about, he tells the disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit. And did they wait? No, they didn't wait. They decided to appoint Mathis, right? They were drawing lots. They didn't wait. And so one of the hardest things to do sometimes is to what? Wait. Right? Amazon is so slow. It's supposed to be at my house today. And they're saying it's going to be 9 o'clock tonight. Right? We live in this, uh, right? It's got to move. It's got to be fast. Move along. He says to wait. Well, in this instance, as we looked last week, they were to wait for the Holy Spirit. He was going to give them the mission for them to do. So I want to go back a little bit. Uh, John chapter 4, Jesus first start, starts dropping the hints. In fact, Jesus is going to throw out these breadcrumbs, I think, to them. And we're going to look at some of those verses. So John chapter 4, verse 13 through 15, this is uh, Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And he says to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water. Everybody say fountain. And notice what he goes on to say. He says it's springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So this is where Jesus first drops off that he has this living water. You'll never thirst again. Boy, she's thinking with her mind that what he's talking about is I'm not going to have to come out and bring these heavy pots and draw water. I'm done after I have a conversation with him. But he's talking about a water springing up into her, not only everlasting life, but then he continues to talk about it. In fact, John chapter 7 Verse 37 through 39, he says this, On the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But he spoke, Concerning what? The Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus, say it with me, had not been glorified. You know, we looked at that verse last week where he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Where some would say, well, it, it, you really didn't need to wait till the book of Acts for it to happen because he breathed on them. Well, he had not yet been glorified, meaning he had not yet been risen from the dead. They weren't able to believe that he was the son of God yet until he rose from the dead. But Jesus is mentioning this. Chapter 4, hey, there's a fountain. There's a springing up of water. Chapter 7, he's crying out, right, with a loud voice. Whoever comes to me, you're not going to have to thirst again. I have a water for you to drink. You're not going to have to thirst again. But, you know, if we were just to back up a little bit, we don't have to look at many of them. 
But if we back up in the Old Testament, God was saying those things. In fact, he says in Jeremiah uh, chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For my pe people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me and the fountains of living water and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Let me read that again. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me and the fountain of living water. Interesting that that's mentioned in the Old Testament, right? A prophetic message about these living waters that Jesus is going to talk about. But here's what he said they've done. They've made their own water. They've built their own cisterns. They've bypassed the way that I do things and they've done it themselves. And don't we see that theme all throughout the Bible? People wanting to do things themselves. God, we don't need you helping. But he says, no, 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 no. I have that living water. And then in two verses uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah 51, verse 1, he prophesied out these things. He, uh, he says, ho, right? I always think that's funny to put in there. Everybody say ho. All right. That's a weird, you know, we just don't use that nowadays, do we? Ho, well, get your attention. Uh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then in verse 11, uh, he prophesies this some more. He says, you shall be like a well-watered garden and like a spring of water whose water does not fail. You shall be like a well-watered garden. You know what I do every time that it's supposed to rain? I turn my sprinklers off, right? And I usually don't turn them back on. But my wife knows when they haven't been on for a while. You know how she knows? Her plants are starting to wither. And she tells me, she says, are you going to turn on the water? You know, I'm, I'm looking to save a little bit on the water bill. Because I have a son that gets in the shower and he doesn't get out. And you got to bang. And I wish I could find the lever that you could do like ice cold on him. Yeah. So anyways, I shut it off and I leave it off. But she knows, right, when it's not been watered right, she'll say something. Are you going to turn the water on or am I going to have to go buy all new plant? Oh, I'm going to turn the water on, right, water back on. Well-watered garden. Though I might not pay attention that it's not watered well, she's paying attention and knows. Here's what, what's important about us. We know when we're not watered well on the inside, when it's dry. It can almost come quickly, too, because you can go without, 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 but then one day you find out, oh, I just, I don't know how to put the words to it. I just feel dry. Well, you got to water up, right? You got to get water in there. Uh, a couple months ago, and I was taking Maverick in the evening to its orthodontist, the city water guys came in, and they let the orthodontist know, which is a dentist, hey, uh, tomorrow for the first few hours when you're open, you're not going to have water. We're having to shut off the main. Well, you know, that didn't go over very well at the dentist because they have to have water. Can you imagine going to the dentist and they don't rinse out after they've done all the stuff they've done? And they say, you know, just go, just keep your mouth closed when you get home, then go ahead and spit it out. Oh, have to have water. What would it be like if you got home today and they're going to do work at your house in your neighborhood and they said for the next three days you're going to have no water at your home? 
you don't think of all the things that the water does. I wonder if these hints and hints and hints and hints for us was to show us, as Jesus was saying, there was one coming, you're going to have to wait. It's going to be like water, but then he's going to use that reference of fire as well too, but you would be like a well-watered garden. Or the living water is the Holy Spirit active within our lives. So I want to just pull out here for us to remember that when we mention the Holy Spirit, it's not something that we're just reading about new in the New Testament or the book of Acts. This is actually something that you can go back into Genesis chapter 1 and the second verse, and the Bible says that he's hovering over the waters. What's he doing? What's he hovering for? He's waiting for God to speak because when God speaks, the Holy Spirit is always the one we see that shows us the power of God. He's waiting for God to say, what were those first words? Let there be light, right? He's waiting for all of that. He's God's power. He's that action part. So whenever we see that, uh, and he's got several names that are thrown in here, but whenever we see that, he's hovering, he's waiting. He's waiting for that spoken word from God to go forth to begin to act. Now, we won't take time, but as we know, we have one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When Jesus prayed in the garden, he's not praying to himself, right? He's not confused. Oh, Father, you know, that's me. I'm Father and Jesus. Uh, you know, you ever meet people, they talk in the third person? And you, know, you need help, brother, right? You need need help. Well, when he's praying, he's praying to God. But when there's action, that's the Holy Spirit. That's that three in one. Well, we're seeing that even in creation. You know, if we read on uh, in Judges chapter six, Gideon, it mentions that the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. That's that action part. Well, in just several verses after it says that, uh, God is going to choose for him the 300. He's going to whittle them down. But the spirit of God, that power part, came down on Gideon. Now, most people will look at when they think of the power of the spirit of God in the Old Testament, they think of Samson. And we'll read that. In fact, we read in uh, Judges chapter 15, verse 14, the spirit of the Lord came on Samson. He finds a jawbone of a donkey and he kills a 1,000 Men, You know, I have always believed this. I, be, I don't believe that Samson looked like the Incredible Hulk. I believe he looked like one of us. And it was the Spirit of God that came upon him. Because if you read towards the end of his life, seven dudes aren't going to take on the Incredible Hulk, right? And try to cut his hair. You're just not going to do that. Uh, but here's somebody when the God's Spirit comes on him, He's able to do something that he can't do later in the natural. His power gets cut off and he can't do anything. But the one I wanted to look at just for a minute is David. And I love when I read about David because when David is anointed as king, something happens different in the Old Testament that we don't see. Here's what we see in the Old Testament. Spirit of God comes down does whatever uh, action needs to take place, Spirit of God goes back up. That's what, we see in the, that's what we see in the Old Testament. Down, up, down, up. Comes upon Samson, 
the action's done, goes back up until the next time. But on David, when he's anointed, the Spirit of God, the Bible says, stays upon him. Stays upon David. That's important for us to see how David's heart is. When you, I, I always remember this. When you, when you want to know how to worship God or how to pray better, you read Psalms because you're learning from somebody anointed by God on how to pray. But here's what happens with David. David finds himself in trouble. You know, we could go through the, the, all of the things that he did. He committed adultery. He had her husband killed. I mean, you go on and go on and go on. And he wasn't concerned about losing his kingdom. He wasn't concerned about losing the king's house. He wasn't concerned about his army or the horses. He was concerned about losing the Holy Spirit. You know, today we'll watch when a leader falls. We've noticed that lately with mayors. Or, and the thing they first say, I won't resign. They don't want to lose their position, their title. David doesn't mention, I don't want to lose my kingdom. He says, I don't want to lose the Holy Spirit. In fact, Psalm 51.11, here's David's words. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Right? People don't want to lose a position. David doesn't want to lose the very presence of God. That's all he has. That's all he wants. Because he knows if I lose that, I watched a king that lost it. And he lost everything. I can't lose the very presence of God in my life. You know, and David is rewarded for that. Because he's a man after God's own heart. There's a reward in those for people that value that presence of God. You know, nowadays, you know, reward points. Go, every store has a rewards card, don't they? And you go in there, I don't. Oh, what number do you I didn't put That number doesn't work. This number doesn't. Well, it starts with a 704. That was my North Carolina number nine years ago. And I don't even have. And then I, I just do this. I'm at an uh, auto place, right? And I'm. Would you like to sign up for our rewards program? No, thank you. You know, if you sign up, you know, you can get 10% off. No, thank you. You know, they go through the whole deal, and you're trying to, no, thank you. No, thank you. I don't need a, I don't need a report. You know, I don't need that on my wife. You know, I don't need all those little points that I have to do this. But we see here with, with David, the thing that he wants to stay rewarded with is God's very presence. The most important thing. This living water is freely given, but if you thirst have to drink. So Jesus starts dropping these hints. In fact, in uh, John chapter 14, he calls it the spirit of truth. You know, and I've underlined it, all those things in my Bible, because the Holy Spirit is going to have several names that are in here. In John 14, verse 26, it says these words, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. But the helper, how many of you need help? Look at somebody next to you and tell them, you need help, right? Say it loud. You need help. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you 
all things. Maybe the disciples thought they knew what Jesus was going to say. They had no idea. They weren't camping out on Easter morning at the tomb because they knew he was coming out. They were hiding. But later, when they saw him and they believed, and then later, it will say this in the book of Acts, they remembered the words that he said. Well, who remember, Who told them or showed them? It's the Holy Spirit. Was reminding them, bringing to their remembrance. If you ever had a verse, whether it's in the middle of the night or during your workday, that a verse drops in your heart, and you know that's not you, you weren't thinking about it, you know that was the Holy Spirit dropping that word at that specific time for you to hear. In fact, the word, the helper, in the Greek is the word paraclete, which really means one called by your side. One called by your side. If we looked at it with the apostles, it was Jesus saying, you have a helper called by your side. As you go about and doing the things that I'm instructing you to do, you're not doing it alone. You're not doing it in your own strength. You have one called by your side. Let me say the same thing over you today. You're not doing this life alone. You might say, it feels like I'm alone. You're not doing it alone. You have a helper. You have the Holy Spirit that God had decided that would be called alongside of you to help you. You've got to ask him, right? You've got to pray to show him. You've got to go through his words, their life to those that find it. He'll show you what to do. You feel stuck? Press in on him. He's called alongside of you to be with you. You're never alone. You have the helper. Well, Jesus says it again in John 15, 20. You know, I don't think they were listening like us. You ever been hard-headed? And it has to be nobody here. It has to be said over and over and over and over so that you finally get it. He says it again in John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit is never independent of Jesus. He doesn't have his own message. He doesn't have his own Bible. doesn't have his own book. He is speaking the things that Jesus tells him to do. Now notice we've already read a bunch of names, right? Jesus says, well, we read in the Old Testament, Spirit of God. You know, uh, if you have King James, it's Holy Ghost, right? Uh, Spirit of God, Spirit of Truth, Helper, all of these different names, but it is the name of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I saw an article the other day, and it, it read the most popular names 100 years ago. And when you read through it, you kind of laugh, but my name was on there. <laughs> I was number 11 100 years ago. And I usually do this, and I get the same response every time. I'll meet a couple, and they're expecting... And she's having a boy, and I say these words. You know what's a great name for a boy these days? Walter. And they do that, they laugh. <laughs> right? They laugh. That's just not a name you hear nowadays. It's not one of those, you know what, I was thinking of some creative names, you know, and it's just, well, no, everybody has a great, great grandpa named Walter. Actually, that far ago. So the Holy Spirit has these names that Jesus drops. Spirit of truth, helper. Uh, he's the teacher of us, the Holy Spirit. 
Um, in John 16, 7, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now let's picture for just a minute Jesus with his disciples. He's been talking to them, in fact, all throughout his ministry, that I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm having to be arrested and beaten and crucified. I am going to rise again. And he says, it's so important I have to leave. You have to let me go. And it's so important for you to let me go because if I don't go, then the helper won't come. I love in another section, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you. You ever been, a, you ever remember, or maybe you had this happen when you were little. Did you ever accidentally get left? And it might have only been 30 seconds, but you thought it was a week. And your mind just kind of went on and on. They dropped me off. I remember as a kid in Sunday school. And I thought, I knew we were going to the beach after. And I thought they just left me. And it probably was 30 seconds. It seemed like forever. So you know that feeling. I think that's how the disciples felt. They felt like, what's he talking about? He said, it's so important that I go. Because if I don't go, the helper, the Holy Spirit won't come. In John 16, verse 13 through 14, uh, he says these words again. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. A perfect picture to us that when we follow the Holy Spirit, it's nothing that's off of God's word, off or a different teaching of what Jesus said. He's going to help you be taught and know what to do. Now, I want to look at here, in fact, we're going to pick this up in the next couple of weeks, but I want to look for just a minute at Peter. If there ever was a person in the Bible, especially the New Testament, that shows us such a change because of the Holy Spirit, it's Peter. Peter, you know, one of the most boisterous of the disciples, the fisherman, the one that if you said, does anybody have a question, he's got both hands and his feet in the air, right? He's got something to say. And most of the time, you know, some of the times he says good things, a lot of times he says crazy things. In the transfiguration of Jesus and Moses, he wants to start, you know, building things and, you know, almost having like an own little sacrifice and Jesus gets on him for a little bit. But he's that type of guy, he's going to jump out and say things. He's actually going to have the Lord reveal to him that Jesus was the Christ. In fact, Jesus says that you didn't get that, but it was given to you by the Lord. So Peter's the guy that when we read about, though, he denied Jesus not one time not two times, but denied him three times. You know, one of the times was to a little child, a little girl, that said the words, weren't you with him? In fact, one of the translations says that he cursed at her. 
It's one thing to run from the Lord. It's another thing to deny him. Matthew 10, 33, Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. That's strong. So here's Peter denying the Lord. If you read at the end of John, he's out fishing. In fact, he's out on his boat, which looks like to us that he was probably going back to what he knew in fishing. He wasn't at the shore casting a net. He was out on the boat, and he was catching nothing. He was out there all night long. He was discouraged. It looked like everything that he had walked away from was over, but he had also denied Jesus, and Jesus told him he would do it, and when he did it, he heard the rooster crow, and he denied him. But here's what we notice. Peter, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, is the first one in a whole group of people to get up and he's going to preach. And of all of the people that were there, 3,000 people accept his message. And what did he talk about? He talked about the resurrection of Jesus. He went through some of the Old Testament, but he talked about the resurrection of Jesus. He did not deny the Lord that day because there was a change in him. There was a boldness about him. He wasn't afraid to get up. You know, if, if you make a mistake sometimes like Peter, you know what you end up doing? You go to the back of the crowd. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to stay at the back of the crowd. I'm not going to speak up. In fact, when I, when I go to the meeting, duct tape my mouth, right? Tie me to the chair because I don't want to say a word. I'm not going to say anything. Peter is really operating back to his personality, except there's something different about him because he waited now for the promise of the Father, and so he goes on and sees 3,000 people saved. You know, the first few chapters of Acts, you could almost call them the Acts of Peter, because he's mentioned so many different times. We read about him today, that he was uh, arrested. Here's the one thing that we see about him. He's one of the inner circle of Jesus, though he denied him, all of a sudden he's going to stand up and unashamedly preach that Jesus is alive. He's going to get drug in front of councils that could end his life. And it would have been so easy for him to say, you know, hey, I, I, I don't know that guy anymore, but he doesn't do that. He's beaten, he's bold, he's back out preaching the name of Jesus. And it's because that that coward bit about him was completely changed to somebody that is completely bold for the Lord. Here's what, in fact, I threw a little list. Here's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. It gives us the ability to be a bold witness. doesn't matter where you are. When there's an opportunity that comes, you take that opportunity. I told you a story a couple weeks ago of the guy that was buying Michelle's car, and he's in my house, and I'm trying to end this deal, and he want, he's talking to me about Luke 4 and the woman at the well wants to know what the living water is. Well, there's that opportunity. You know, I could have been, hey, sign this and, you know, let me move on. No, here's an opportunity. Those opportunities are out there to be bold and to be a witness. Do you have a teacher with you? How many of you had, um, you had a teacher, but you also had maybe a tutor? Does anybody here have a tutor? Am I the only one? Straight A? Had a tutor, right? And what did the tutor do? You smart, intelligent people, you, right? You had a tutor, they helped you, they looked over your work, they gave you some pointers, and they let you go because you figured it out, right? He said, thank you for doing that. 
you have a teacher. He'll show you the things to come. He only glorifies Jesus, but he's both the living water, and as, as we see in the book of Acts, he's also that fire from heaven, that power. The gift of the Holy Spirit is to give you the power to be a witness, but it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that taps into that personal relationship with the Lord, that living water, that fountain of water, that spring of life. It's a deeper connection. It's a better communication. It's an amplifier turned on so that you can hear the voice of the Lord. And praying, you get better understanding. And in praying, you're praying for things you may not know what to pray, but you know that the Holy Spirit is praying on your behalf. And as you read God's word, you see things, you say, I've never seen that before. That's right, because you know who that is? That's the Holy Spirit in your life. And here's what David said. Don't take that from me. Don't take that from me. Probably what he would have said, take everything else, but don't take that from me. That's who I am. That's my identity. Peter goes from the runaway to now you almost got to you know, saddle the guy down a little bit, right? Uh, that's what it does. So the next couple weeks as we talk about this, I want you to be reading Acts and tap into that relationship. We'll talk more about it last week. Bow your heads if you would with me today. Father, we thank you for those words of Jesus. You'll never thirst again. When we read that, that almost seems like a faith statement. But he tells us to come to him. It's that daily coming to him. And you'll never thirst again. Lord, I pray that as we talk and teach and read about these in the next couple weeks that your spirit speaks to us so clearly that we hunger and thirst for righteousness that you are the one leading and guiding our lives and we submit to you you can take us from a runaway like Peter and put us on fire to do what you've called us to do taking things that look impossible and make them possible. And you told everybody, but don't jump ahead until you have this. So Lord, thank you for teaching us. Holy Spirit, thank you for us being taught through you to the word of God. And we bless you today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Stand if you would with me and let's